Jeff Rosenblum is an author, documentary filmmaker, and the founder of Questus, a digital marketing agency that has worked with some of the world's most influential brands, including American Express, Apple, Bloomberg, and Capital One, just to name a few. Jeff is widely regarded as one of the leading innovators in the field of digital marketing. His latest book, Friction, argues that brands don't simply need clever messages or new shiny technologies, they need a fundamental change in strategy. Jeff further explored these themes as the co-writer and director of a groundbreaking documentary, The Naked Brand, which speculates about the future of the advertising industry and argues that corporations have the opportunity to use their influence to save the planet. So passion brands are brands that dominate the competition, right? These are the brands where, you know, people sit around a campfire, they sit around a bar, they sit around the dinner table, and they talk about these brands. They buy t-shirts and hats and become walking billboards. They actively proselytize. They're not just customers, they're not just loyal, they're, they're evangelists. In this live discussion with Ivy's co-founder, Barry Merrick, Jeff discusses what it takes to become a passion brand and assess friction in every aspect of business and leadership. Please enjoy our conversation with Jeff Rosenblum. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. And our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by 8, maker of the 8 Smart Bed. Sleeping is smart. So is a bed that tells you exactly how well you slept last night. The 8 Smart Bed is a four-layer, high-density foam mattress paired with a smart cover that goes on the mattress just like a fitted sheet. This nearly invisible technology layer has multiple sensors that measure the quality of your sleep and deliver a daily sleep report each morning through the 8 app. The 8 cover also has a bed warming feature that warms each side of the bed individually to accommodate different sleeping temperatures. And 8 connects to almost any Wi-Fi enabled device in your house. Coffee makers, blinds, smart lights. Did we mention bed warming? Ivy Podcast listeners get $100 off any mattress purchase by entering the promo code IVY at checkout. Visit www.8sleep.com forward slash IVY to start sleeping smarter today. We're live here at Ivy's headquarters, and our topic today is friction. How can brands, organizations, individuals, and leaders reduce friction to achieve better results? And here with us today is Jeff Rosenblum, uh, who is the author of this amazing new book called Friction, Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. So, Jeff, welcome to Ivy. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I know you just flew in from LA, and we're all very excited to learn about 
this amazing book that you've been writing and the key themes. So to get us started, I uh, would love to hear your personal story. How was it growing up and what got you interested in this topic in the first place? Oh, wow. Well, I think, I think fighting friction has always been part of my life, right? How do you make things easier? But from a business perspective, my background is I helped pioneer the field of internet research. And I was doing all this honestly really boring stuff. And then my business partner was on the cutting edge of internet design and was doing some really cool stuff. And what we realized is if we got these two halves together, my boring stuff and his cool stuff, we can create experiences that remove friction, that move people's lives forward one small step at a time. And when we started, you know, it was like 18 years ago, we were basically kids. So we weren't thinking in that way. We were just like, let's do cool stuff. But what we realized over time is the cool stuff that got results fights friction. So what specifically is your definition of friction? Great question. So friction is anything that holds people back from accomplishing what they want to accomplish. Anything that gets in the way of their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. So it's the big things that prevent us from being who we want to be. And it's those little things that prevent us from doing what we want to do. And when brands fight friction, when they help people accomplish their goals, that's when they become passion brands. What causes the friction in the first place? Well, it can be anything, right? It can be macro-level big stuff that resides in an entire category. It can be little things that just sit in the relationship that people have when they're trying to buy a product and use a product. It really comes down to this, which is brands have had one tool for about a century, which is interruptions. They're going to find you while you're watching a ball game, watching a show, reading a magazine, more and more using a website or mobile device, and they interrupt, and they give that message over and over and over again. The issue is those interruptions, they just don't work nearly as well as they once did because we're seeing like 5,000 of them every day. So brands, they need a new tool. And I think that new tool is to fight friction. It's about creating content and experiences that are so powerful. People go out of their way to participate, that, to participate in them and then share them with others. And those great experiences are really about moving, removing friction. It's about improving people's lives. So if uh, interruptions are kind of the main cause of friction, mm -hmm. what's like the antidote or the counter to an interruption? Yeah, great, great question. We call it empowerment okay. over interruptions. Just empower people. Give them the tools they need to have a better life instead of interrupting them. Now, interruptions still work. Advertising still works. But it needs to be a gateway to an empowering experience, one that moves people's lives forward one small step at a time. Yeah, I'd find it hard to imagine you know, any CEO of any brand would disagree with anything you're yeah. saying. It seems like, of course, you, know, you should be empowering people rather than interrupting them and annoying them. Uh, but for some reason, many brands still do interrupt and don't have this interruption, uh, sorry, this empowerment mindset. Yeah. Why is that? What's the problem? Yeah, it's, we call it the machine in the shiny objects, right? When you speak to young folks and young CEOs like yourself, they get it. Like, that has to be at the core of building a brand. It's why products are created in the first place, which is to move people's lives forward, right? But for decades and decades, we've had this machine that really got great at creating interruptions and creating ads. Let's say you graduate from a great school, then you go to Harvard Business School, then you go to a huge company like P&G, where you're getting better and better and better at this interruptive model. And the interruptive model worked extraordinarily well for decades. 
Intel search and social and mobile technology disrupted that model. But people are still addicted to the machine. And that's why so many of these passion brands, they're actually younger brands because they're not hamstrung by those legacy business models. All right, so let's dive into that term, passion brands. Yeah. What does that mean? And let's maybe compare and contrast. So sure. perhaps you want to give an example of a passion brand that does it real well yeah. and contrast it to totally. uh, an old school brand that's not doing it so well. Exactly. So passion brands are brands that dominate the competition, right? These are the brands where, you know, people sit around a campfire, they sit around a bar, they sit around the dinner table and they talk about these brands. They buy t-shirts and hats and become walking billboards. They actively proselytize. They're not just customers, they're not just loyal, they're, they're evangelists, right? Some of them get tattoos, right? And from a bottom line perspective, they outperform the competition as much as eight to one from a bottom line financial standpoint because people don't want to be marketed to, they don't want to be interrupted, they want brands to help solve their problems. So when brands do solve problems, they create this passionate evangelist base. Now, in terms of examples, there's not a ton of them, right? Because there's an infinite number of brands, but there's only a small handful of passion brands. And the one that I personally love is Patagonia, right? So what's the friction that resides in that category, which is outdoor gear and apparel? Well, to enjoy your outdoor gear and apparel, you need a healthy outdoors. And ironically, the creation of that gear and apparel actually damages the outdoors, right? Because it creates garbage, it creates manufacturing byproducts. So every single place that Patagonia interacts with its customers, whether it's digitally, in stores, their CRM, they're continuing to educate and empower people about how they can have a healthier environment. So first they created something called the Footprint Chronicles, and you can see the whole supply chain. So you understand when you buy products, what damage does it have against the environment? What can we do to help? And what is Patagonia doing to help? They ran a campaign called Don't Buy This Jacket, where on their website they had a picture of a beautiful jacket and said, don't buy it. And their point is like, if you want, we'll sell it to you, but you're going to create garbage and we're going to create manufacturing byproducts. They have a whole documentary called Warnware, which extols the virtues. It celebrates people that hold on to their products for literally decades. So the point is over and over and over again, at every touch point, they're educating and empowering people how they can have a healthier environment. And because of that, I'm eternally loyal, I evangelize for the brand, and I am absolutely passionate. And they've got an installed base of evangelists all around the world. Okay, so uh, in terms of someone who just heard what you said and they're running a business or they're planning to launch one, <clears throat> it's much easier to think about you know, your revenues, increasing them by selling better products, mm -hmm. your costs, reducing them by doing whatever you yeah. can in your manufacturing or sourcing. But when it comes to what you just said, like, you know, aligning with your mission, empowering your customer mm -hmm. base, the KPI seem harder to identify. Yes. Do you have some best practices on how a business can think about what mm -hmm. you just said in a very quantifiable, actionable way where yeah. it's as clear as revenue, cost, profit. Yeah, totally. So let me simplify this whole thing, right? So I work in research and I work in strategic planning and very often you'll see 60, 80, 100 page PowerPoint decks and there'll be thousands and thousands of data points in there. And some of that is, is nice, it, it's valid, but really it comes down to this. How do I help people get more value out of my category? It's that simple, right? Instead of how do I entertain, how do I interrupt, 
how do I give them more value, right? So for Patagonia, it's defending the environment. But people don't wake up in the morning expecting brands to hug the trees and save the manatees. Just give me more value. Think about the airline industry and the fiasco going on at United. Well, people want a more comfortable experience from point A to point B. And it's not just in the airplane, it's in the totality of the ways that brands interact with their customers. Right. And it's really that simple. Now, how do you measure that value mm -hmm. as a marketer? So can you measure the immediate outcome? So eventually, obviously, it results in yeah. better revenues and yeah. uh, better brand awareness and so yeah. forth. But in, the, in a management sense, how do you measure that? Great question. So it gets a little technical here, mm -hmm. right? It really comes down to the sales funnel. And when technology disrupted the marketing and branding industry, people started making the sales funnel really weird, right? They started turning it into like a Dr. Seuss sousaphone and everything. It's not. It's a basic sales funnel. It's called a funnel because it's shaped like that. There's a bunch of people who are aware, less people who have perceptions and interests, less people who that convert, and then less people that evangelize. And typically what happens is people focusing on the top of the funnel, like broadband or traditional media to say, look, how do I get people aware? And then they've got a bunch of discounts and whatnot at the bottom to get them to convert and buy. What we say is digital is the mid-funnel playground. This is where brands can create content in tools that let people understand what do you stand for? What makes you different? What makes you better? And it's really important to focus on that metric, which is how do people feel about my brand? Do people understand what we stand for? What makes it? What makes our brand better? And you can use different technologies like attribution that's gonna tie all these things together so it doesn't sit in a silo. You can build a direct correlation between perceptions and commerce. But the bottom line is great brands, the brands that you love, the brands that I love, they're not built because of big awareness and big discounts at the top and the bottom. It's all about perceptions, mid-funnel. Okay, so it's all about measuring that perception. Correct. And looking to improve it through strategies that remove the friction. Exactly. Any specific metrics like net promoter score or mm -hmm. what are these perception mm -hmm. metrics that you look at? Well, net promoter score, NPS is great. It's been proven to have a direct impact on the bottom line. More people that are willing to recommend your brand, um, you know, that's what leads to profitability. Uh, loyalty leads to profitability. Um, a 5% increase in loyalty can often lead to a 100% increase in profitability. So every brand is completely unique, but it really comes down to, can you measure in a way that says, look, before we do anything, compared to after we do anything, do people have a better understanding of what we stand for, what makes us different, what makes us better? And to your point, does that change their perceptions to the point where they want to recommend the brand? Because at the end of the day, those recommendations are like 12 times more trusted than paid advertising. Okay. All right. So I want to do a quick kind of a case study analysis. Yes. Uh, something that happened a couple of weeks ago that everyone in the world has heard about, yeah. United Airlines and um, what happened to one of their customers uh, yeah. through their policies. So again, it's hard for me to imagine that that company has a policy of doing like yeah. leading to outcomes or yeah. any intention yet it happened anyway so when you look at it from your perspective the lens of friction and friction yeah. reduction what do you think led to an occurrence like that even taking place yeah. and what can a company like United do to ensure it never happens again yeah so um, it, I think it was less policy and more culture Right? Because it wasn't actually United Airlines employees that pulled that poor gentleman off the plane. But there are a lot of United Airlines employees around the perimeter of this experience who think, 
this is okay. This is the way our brand operates. So um, to us, what we talk about in the book is what we call the brand hierarchy. And it's really like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Food, water, shelter, ultimately happiness and self-fulfillment. And what that means is you can't be happy, you can't be self-fulfilled if you're starving to death. And brands have the same thing. They've got a hierarchy. But most brands have built it upside down, meaning they're spending the lion's share of their dollars, up to 80%, on paid advertising. And we think that there's a chronological order that you need to follow. But to the point of United, at the base of it is what we call frictionless leadership. It means you're standing for something that's bigger and bolder than just your products and just your profitability, and you've got everybody aligned on what that core mission is. And for United, clearly what they're focused in on is bottom line profitability. And you know what? They do okay as an airline, but they'll never be a passion brand. And to your point of like, how are they gonna change? Well, they got a wake up call. Because when you watch those videos, what's interesting is all the cameras that are in the foreground of the video. It wasn't one guy taping this thing. Everyone's breaking out the camera, and then it goes on with literally tens of millions of people viewing it, directly impacts their bottom line. And unfortunately for a company like that, they're not gonna change until their bottom line is impacted. Okay, got it. So the, uh, you talked about like the beginning, though it starts with from uh, frictionless leadership. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you have to stand for you, your goal. You have to have a goal that's above and beyond mm -hmm. the PNL. Yeah. That's what you're. So ideally, then as a company, you need a leader who's yeah. wired that way Correct. and actually believes in that. Yeah. And then you have to instill it. And I guess the larger an organization is, the harder it becomes uh, for a leader to directly influence a given. Uh, subordinate exactly so what are the kind of the differences and I guess that's why you were mentioning uh, in a startup it's sometimes easier because you know the founder is there mm -hmm. and you know people see each other and they talk about it yeah and um, when a multi-billion dollar global uh, enterprise yeah. tries to change something you know the leadership might be super bought in but it needs to go all the way through the organization so yeah. any best practices on how to you know essentially implement something like this in a truly efficient yeah. and authentic totally. way. So we did speak to some very big brands, like Under Armour as an example, which is still run by their founder, Kevin Plank, and he's, he was generous with his time. Yeah. But um, what we did is we uncovered a bunch of research. One of the great pieces of research we found was conducted by Jeff Smartman and team, and they call it the Power Score, which is a, a sort of acronym for PWR, Priorities, Who, in relationships, and basically what they did is they've reviewed nine million data points that they have. And to answer your question, it comes down to three things. One, what are your priorities? What do you stand for? Two, the who is all about hiring. Who is on your team and making sure that you have A players. And then three, relationships, which is not about the warm and fuzzy stuff. It's about a communication cadence that keeps everybody aligned on your mission and your values. And those brands that do that, dominate the competition, but only 1% of leaders, according to their data, are great at P, W, and R, priorities, who, and relationships. Okay, fascinating. Yeah. All right, that's a very powerful uh, framework to think about it. Yeah. So for somebody um, who is, you know, an, at an individual level, how does this translate? Because again, you know, we all wake up in the morning, and very few of us are out there looking to cause friction. Yeah. Uh, most of us want to get along and do better. So yeah. at an individual level, what are some learnings from the brands that do this well for a given yeah. individual to yeah. implement these lessons? Great question, because I this is the topic that I had the most fun studying, right? And a lot of it was highlighted by this story I uncovered that some people may have heard before about uh, Keith Richards, right? Keith Richards is the greatest guitar player of all time, or at least one of them. 
But one night he goes to bed and he did the one thing that he does better than play guitar, which is he partied like a rock star and he passed out cold. He wakes up a few hours later. He literally has his guitar lovingly in bed with him. He's got a song in his head and he just won't stop. So he turns over, hits, tape, hits the tape recorder, plays a few lines on his guitar, passes out cold again. Wakes up a few hours later, presses play. And what he had was the riff for Satisfaction, which turns out to be one of the most popular and influential rock songs of all time. And then, of course, there was the sound of him snoring. He was not even awake enough to hit stop. The reason this works is when we wake up first thing in the morning, we have something called alpha waves. It's the most powerful form of neurological creativity that we have. Here's the problem. 90% of us sleep with our cell phone right next to us. 72% of us, the very first thing that we do in the morning is we check our cell phone. When we do that, we kick our fight or flight system into gear. We immediately shut off these alpha waves and we start releasing stress hormones into our body. The issue is not only first thing in the morning, but throughout our day, we're hopelessly addicted to these devices. We look at it every four and a half minutes that we're awake. We believe you need to feed your creativity. First thing in the morning, as an example, do something creative. Doesn't matter what you're into. I play guitar, 15 minutes. I suck at guitar, right? But when I do that, I set a framework for my entire day. I activate the creative portions of my brain from a physiological and a hormonal perspective. And for the rest of the day, I've got that nice creative foundation. And that is the ultimate competitive advantage because we all have unlimited technology and unlimited data. But creativity, that's still the secret weapon. Got it. And so it's fascinating how this like this theme of friction and interruption, I want to just make sure we're talking about a lot of things, but it's essentially like if you live your life in a way, whether it's in the company that you're leading or whether it's in your day-to-day -day life, just reducing interruptions and like replacing that with I guess authentic creativity, yes. or, or this empowerment exactly. uh, seems to be like a recurring theme uh, exactly that you right. keep coming back to. Yeah, perfect summary. Yeah, uh, the Under Armour story you mentioned, their PWR metric, that's a fascinating way in which a yep. company does a good job of this. What are some other really powerful case studies that you've seen that we can all learn from? You know, I think it's looking at a lot of these cutting edge newer companies. I guess some of them are not even that cutting edge and new anymore. But like. Airbnb, right? So what we do is we talk about macro and micro friction, much the same way as economics has macro and micro. Macro is something that sits at the entire category. So Airbnb, people are looking for a different form of travel and hospitality. They don't want to stay at expensive hotels. They're looking for something that's a little bit more authentic and a little bit more comfortable. At the same exact time that there's thousands and thousands of people who have homes that they want to monetize. Boom, that's it. That's the macro friction. How do I help people get more value out of my category? But then there's the micro friction. It's that really user-friendly user interface. It's the five-star ratings that go in both directions. So you know, is this a great place? Of course, you're going to tell me it's a great place, but when thousands of people rate it, and then I also get rated, just like Airbnb and Lyft, that's the micro friction. It's removing all those little headaches in that one-to-one -one experience. So Airbnb, Lyft, 
Uber. There are companies like Sweet Green right now. I don't know if you've seen it. They serve delicious food. Many places do, removing that macro friction. But they have lines around the block. So now you can actually order everything right on your mobile device. You don't have to wait online. One click to buy, one click to figure out what time you want to pick it up, two clicks to customize it. You walk in, you don't even have to show the product or, or your app, you just grab it, your name is there. So all of these companies that are started typically by younger folks, they're focused in on providing value and removing friction before they focus in on what's the big ad campaign. Okay, great. So that that's a great way to kind of... Uh give an idea of us companies a consumer just at a micro level reduce friction as much as possible in the marketplace and then at a micro level reduce it between you and the customer um, and then within the company so internally mm -hmm. um, when what are the ways in which you know you can what are some best practices you've seen for reducing friction internally so within teams and so forth especially in very passionate teams yeah. oftentimes there's like conflicting opinions and mm -hmm. so forth what are ways in which you've seen uh, Passion brands uh, have dealt with that. Yeah, you know the one that I'm, I'm personally passionate about is the importance of storytelling. So uh, I've run an agency for 18 years. I've seen tons of great ideas, but great ideas don't get implemented, right? The best ideas often hit the cutting room floor. The best ideas that do get implemented are the ones that capture the attention of the audience, the internal audience, right? So often we think in marketing and branding, like, oh, we need to appeal to consumers. But before that, you gotta get everybody in the room excited. And what's happened is there's so much emphasis on data, technology, risk aversion, that people aren't saying, hey, how do I capture your attention at an emotional level? And just like our whole thing with internal friction in our mobile devices, the same thing is happening in conference rooms, mm -hmm. right? If you don't capture people's attention, people look down at their mobile device. And once the audience looks down at their mobile device, they're done. They're in another place. They're not ready to say, hey, you've got a great idea, let's implement it. So a great way to remove organizational friction is to get great at storytelling so our best ideas don't hit the cutting room floor. Okay, awesome. All right, and what, what makes, um, what, what are some, uh, like I just want to get specific on that, so what's the way in which somebody can become a better storyteller or in fact implement across uh, your organizational structure the power of storytelling? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, it has to be authentic, right? Some people will stand up and be exciting, and, and some people will be really mellow, right? There's, you have to be true to yourself. But I think it's really about removing the boring parts. It's that simple, right? So many presentations, here's our agenda, right? Six bullet points. Well, what happens at that, that point? Everybody looks down, right? And they wait for the agenda to be over, and then the presentation starts. The issue is, they don't really look back up. They're done forever, either directly because they're looking, or part of their brain is still focused on that task. So it's about removing those boring parts and replacing it with stuff that's emotional. We're emotional beings, and before we can make rational decisions, we need to be emotionally engaged. And that's pretty scary from a storytelling perspective, but those who embrace it, that's the guys and gals that are creating these breakthrough ideas. Those are the ones that actually have their ideas come to life. Okay, got it, so cut the boring stuff. Focus on the authentic message. Seems so silly and obvious, <laughs> doesn't it? Nice, great advice. <laughs> yeah. um, so now that there are, like you said, most brands are not passion brands, but more and more there are more passion brands mm -hmm. that are coming into being and becoming huge success stories. So these are great case studies. When you look ahead five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. 20 years from now, what do you think the branding landscape is going to look like? What's going to be the major changes that you see coming? Yeah, great question. I think this concept of fighting friction goes on in perpetuity, right? This isn't about saying, hey, 
What's the latest way to use Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter? Who knows if those things are going to be around in 10 years? Who knows if virtual reality is going to be the thing that hits? Whatever it is, whatever technology that we're leveraging, it has to be about fighting friction, mm -hmm. which, you know, every single time that there's a new technology, including virtual reality, including social media, the initial instinct is interruptions. How do I get into that flow? And the passion brands are going to say, whatever that new technology is, how do I empower people? How do I fight friction? So it's irrelevant of what the tech platform is. It's all about improving people's lives one small step at a time. Okay, great. And um, this book, what can someone expect if they purchase it and they're going to read through it? What are, the, what are the key lessons that they're going to get from it? Or what's the structure of the book? Well, yeah, what we tried to do is create something that's engaging all the way through. Mm -hmm. So what we realized is there's a lot of business books that we buy and that we love and you read the first chapter and you're like, wow, this thing is amazing. And then you're up on Amazon, you buy like six copies for your friends and then you read the second chapter, you're like, uh-oh, that's the same as the first chapter. Then you get to the third chapter and it's the same as the first chapter and you're like, wait, I already got the whole thing. So we tried to fight against that by creating a full story arc. So the first third is all about what's happening at an institutional level, all organizations, right? The second part is what's happening at an organizational level. How do we fight friction? And the last part is all about internal friction. So we tried to create a story arc where it changes, it engages, it's actionable, and it's not repetitious. Did I succeed? I don't know. Nobody ever tells you if they don't like your book. Okay, well, we're very excited to spread the word. Um, is there any way in which the Ivy audience can support your efforts? You know, if you like the book, I guess either way, read it, rate it, review it. We live in the world of transparency. So if you love it, that's fantastic. But if not, be honest, throw it up on Amazon and, you know, let it, uh, let it, uh, you know, whatever the natural fate of the book is, let it be. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. This is a fascinating me. conversation. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.